road leads? Then hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both high and low, rich and poor together. Do you indeed speak righteousness? Do you judge uprightly, all ye sons and daughters of men? And do you judge as others judge? For as you judge, you shall be judged. And if you condemn, you are condemned. Pass on. But there is no return. Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, we want to remind you we're always looking for new guests. If you think you'd be a good fit or know someone, hit us up at info at professionconfession.com. Likewise, we want to do a new thing where you can send us your own confessions. Maybe you don't think you have enough for a whole episode, but you have a good story or something like that you want us to read on the air. That would be really fun. You can hit us at that same website, or we have a form on our website that you can come on. You can fill it out. We'll keep it anonymous. Same thing for our guests. You know, protecting your anonymity is the whole thing. So uh, spread the word, and thanks for listening. And this podcast is brought to you by Lamborghini El Diablo. Lamborghini El Diablo. Smart, savvy, dependable. Kelly Blue Book says its resale value is higher than Honda. And J.D. Power & Associates says it's got a three-star safety rating, which is good for a sports car. Sure, they cost $200,000, but they last twice as long. Guys, check out Lamborghini El Diablo. Type this podcast in the box and get 10% off. Hey, guys. On this week's episode, this is sort of a special episode. It's not quite like the old ones, but we hope that you really like it anyway. We had a lot of fun. This is with... Radio Hall of Famer, Tom Bernard. Uh, Tom Bernard is a legend in radio, especially in the Midwest up here. So um, if you don't know him, I still think it'll be really interesting because we did try to frame the questions through like our normal lens of just being a morning radio DJ. He just happens to have been number one in Minneapolis and elsewhere for 40 years. So he's uh, he has interviewed huge names like Gore Vidal and what else we talk about? Uh, he is the only guy to ever beat Howard Stern back out of a market, which, um, you know, that was one of the big things I wanted to talk about. And just, you know, the experience of being a multimillionaire fucking radio guy. It's just, it's, it's an interesting life. So I think that you guys will like it, and I hope you do. Thanks for listening. And on this episode of Profession Confession... He's never worked a day in his life. His hands are made of vagina meat. He's a radio guy. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard. That is true. I can't even deny it. Actually, I was an iron worker for a while. Were you really? Yeah, I was a janitor from the time I was uh, 11 years old till I was about 16. Then I was, a, I was in a band. So that wasn't work either. <laughs> and then uh, I got into radio when I was 18, 19 years old. And I got fired so many times that nobody would hire me, so I had to get a job as an iron worker. And then I got a break, got back into radio. So it just, yeah. I don't know it's hard for you to believe this, but I was kind of probably a little arrogant and unpleasant when I was younger. That is really hard to believe. That's really uh, was... way over the top. <laughs> did you, um, you know, did you have passion for radio early? Were there yeah. guys that you, you liked or followed in this area? Or? Yeah, I, I tell you the truth, one of them just died. His name was Bill Deal. It's in the paper today that Bill Deal died. He was the first guy I ever heard mention the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. I mean, he really led the charge for rock and roll in this market. 
And what I loved about him was a guy named Steve Cannon used to be on WCCO Radio. And whenever you have Bill on his show, he said, All right, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest today, Bill Dull. <laughs> really nice. But no, I, I wanted to do I wanted to do it from the time I was fourteen years old. Uh I just realized I, I wanted to do radio. And I, I think I finally just realized this year after being in the business for forty seven years why I did. I think it was because the only time I ever talked to my father is when I made him laugh. Sure. It's the only time he would ever talk to me. So Yeah. When did you know you had that voice, by the way? This one, I, I changed when I was 11. Really? Yes. <laughs> you didn't have that voice at 12 years no, old. No, I did, absolutely. Did and you they, really? And they called me Froggy because of it. Okay. It was, an, it was actually my mother's voice. My mother had a very deep voice and <laughs> would never shut <laughs> right, up. Right, right. That's the other thing. My mother had a deep voice and she never shut up. She, was, she, was, she had no sense of humor but was really funny. And she didn't even know it. Right. You know, it just, it was one of those deals. My family, there are, I got three brothers, uh, excuse me, four brothers and two sisters. And everybody in the family is like really funny. Yeah. A lot funnier than I am, I'll tell you. That. Right. Well, they, you're observing it, learning. Yep. Were you in, so I was thinking about radio, you know, um, I'm sure it's a term that you fucking hate, but there's the shock jock kind of thing. No, but, that's right. You know, I think you'd be in that category to a sense. You think I would be? Well, I mean, as far as from, the audience's perspective or outsiders kind well, of they'd say he's you know that that you're being um you know uh provocative or whatever yeah i think Certainly. that's true you know and that's kind of i think people just it's a lazy term but really what i was wondering is because you started in in what 81 six started, started at started at kq yeah just say radio yeah like i started my f- radio career in 1977 okay and when did that turn oh, from where DJs? Lied. okay I started my radio career in 1971. I forgot I was in it. That was it. That was that period between 71, 71 to 75, and then for two years from 75 to 77, I got fired so many times nobody would hire me. When so did you get your 71. first real show? Would you say? Uh 1973. I was the six to ten guy at uh, what was called the music station. It was 1500 KSTP, and and I was you know 20 years old. Okay. 20 years old. And it actually was a great thing for me because I got, the station was terrific. Had really, really good, a really good bunch of guys. Not disc jockey type of guys, just really interesting people. Right. And so so I learned from a lot of really good people. And, uh, you know, I was getting huge ratings. Right away? Only, right like away. Like right out yeah. of the gate? Okay. And I was only, like I said, 20 years old. I think part of it. How do you 18, have opinions but, when you're 20 years old for real? You know what I mean? That's I just think it was where I grew up in North Minneapolis. It just you learn a lot really, really quickly. Okay, because yeah, I mean yeah. that was going to be one of my questions. I like, um, I truly believe one of my weaknesses in this world is I do the whole like, uh, well, you know, I like I can see both sides of the thing, you know, and that's not great I don't for think, fucking radio. Necessarily. I don't think right now that is a bad thing. Really? I don't think that's a bad thing at all for right now in radio. I think being a voice of reason is very, very important because there aren't any. Right. And in fact, what I was going to ask you, is that the difference? Because to me in radio, it seems like you need the opinion right away and you need to kind of do it well and stick to it, which I think you do uh, incredibly well. You just know who you are somehow, you know, really quickly. But I think it's my job right now. And I, and I would follow I would just follow your your instincts on this one. I literally 
don't like any of these people now. Right. I, I just, would you please shut up and govern people? First of all, let me run it down this way. This is why I can't be political anymore. I, yeah. I've tried being a Republican. I've tried being a Democrat. I just can't be either one of those. Um, pretty centrist in my views. One of those, you know, you know, the common excuse kind of thing always is that I'm socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Mm-hmm. But I suppose I am. But I'm not really fiscally conservative either because I give away money like, um, you know, to right. the chair. So I'm not too conservative with my dough. But um, I just think it's a situation. When you're a United States senator, the average United States senator is worth $14 million. Why? <laughs> I had no idea that stat. Know, that's fucking crazy. That, that was right. My, that, by the way, that was from 2015, so that's even two years old, so it's probably more now. Right. You know why they have so much money? No. Well, I mean, all the backdoor deals, I would imagine. Exactly. Right? Do you know Kickbacks? why? No, yeah, I would assume that it's all the backdoor deals of people paying to get certain things passed through legislation. It's a lot of it, but a lot of it also has to do with insider trading, which is not illegal for Congress or the Senate. It's really? illegal for the three of us in this room. Right. If we did it, we'd go to prison. They can do it. It's not illegal. I've never heard that in my life. Oh, that's yeah. Well, re- really? That's, that's fascinating. That is a fact. So these people are becoming very, very wealthy. They don't uh, need to have any health care. They mm-hmm. have completely different health care coverage than we do. No matter if it's bomb- Obamacare or Trumpcare or whatever, they will not use it. Right. They are guaranteed their salary. If they serve one day in the Senate or in, or in the House, they get the, their full salary for the rest of their lives every year. Is this your way of announcing your run for the No, I'm not going to run for anything. I, is there a form I can fill out? I would literally kill about half the people I work with there. You, you would, must have had a push for that at some point, people wanting you to do that. I, uh, as a matter of fact, just a couple of years ago, and I think it just happened again earlier this year, that the number the number one choice to run for for governor on the Republican side of things was me. Really? And I went, are you people out of your mind? <laughs> you know what's really weird? So, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is that you are radio famous, which is mm. a really it's specific a weird, kind of fame. That's a weird thing. How yeah. weird that in this area, you know, first of all, you're famous in name and voice. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know what you look like, but a lot don't. Yeah, that's true. You know? And then you cross a certain line, and you know you've probably gone on a family vacation to Florida, and they're like, "I don't give a fuck who Tom Bernard is. Get the you know get in line." It's interesting you bring that up because when we first started going down to Florida as a family, I said, "Catherine, why we why do we come here every year?" She goes, "Why?" I said, "People here are kind of assholes," (laughs) and she said, "No, they're not." They just don't know who the hell you are. They don't give a shit about you, <laughs> right. and they treat you like everybody else. I mean, that's exactly. I love it, that, right? Which, of course, any wife would just love. Yeah. Oh, oh my, yeah. My wife loves it when I get fucking taken down a peg. Oh, there's no. Yeah, oh, being taken down a peg. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. And I've told her there's no pegs left. There We're are no do- pegs yeah. left. We're done with the pegs. We're good. How about build me up a little bit? What? So, uh, doubling back in the beginning. So your voice was natural to you. Like you know, that was the big yeah, thing I was going to ask about finding finding your voice, so to speak. No, it all came very naturally to me. I mean, it, I had an interesting an interesting childhood. My father was schizophrenic, and he was institutionalized when I was 10 years old. I lived in a very uh, tough uh, area. Still is, Plymouth Avenue mm-hmm. in North Minneapolis. Lived in uh, 43 different houses. I mean, moved constantly. Um, Did well in real estate. Yeah, yeah. Not by not paying the rent. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> by not paying the rent, it was unbelievable. But, you know, there were a lot of great things about that that taught me a lot. Um, one of the things I was talking today, as a matter of fact, uh, I was talking about uh, Rick Gutierrez earlier, the Mexican guy. 
And I said, well, it was interesting growing up where I grew up. And Elaine Morales, one of my classmates, I've known her for since I was five. She said, Tommy, ever noticed that there were every kind of person and we didn't give a shit? And it's true. I mean, and this is 60 years ago. We did not care what your skin color was or what your culture was or what your religion was. We didn't care. We were little kids, and we all hung out together. We had a great time. I have a wonderful story, actually, about that. Oh, good. I can't really name some of the people, but there were four of us. There was me, Whitey, <laughs> Benny, who was black, Ronald, who's was his nickname? <laughs> He's what? I said, what was his nickname? The black guy? Whitey, whitey Blackie. <laughs> whitey Blackie. And then we had a Native American mm-hmm. and an Irish kid, I suppose, uh, kind of white. <laughs> but right. anyway, we we thought one day in uh, sixth grade, I believe it was, fifth or sixth grade, we were walking through the railroad yards together because it used to be, there, you know, uh, those railroad yards up in northeast Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. They used to run all the way kind of through downtown. And there still are railroad tracks, but not as many as there were right. when I was a kid. So we thought it'd be really funny to go down to the railroad yard and steal a bunch of flares. You know, they put the railroad flares. I don't need, they probably yeah, don't yeah. use them anymore. Right. So the four of us, again, one, uh, one black kid, one Native American kid, one Irish kid, and one white guy, me. So we go and we take a case of flares and we bring them back and we brought them to school just so everybody how cool they were. Um, one of the priests came by and called the police. And the police came, and he said, boys, put that box down right where it is and leave it there. We had stolen a case of dynamite. Oh, Really? Whoops. Yeah. I think <laughs> so, you get kicked out of school for that now. I will never <laughs> for forget sure. this. Officer Savanich was the cop's name. and You can look it up. He, you know, his name, you can find his name. Officer Savanich came to school, and they called an assembly to talk about how dangerous it was to do what we did, but we didn't know we had committed a right. crime, right? And the sergeant, the sergeant started crying on stage. He said, you boys could have easily killed yourselves, you know? Yeah. It was just that kind of child that we all hung right. out, and we thought, hey, you know, railroad flares would be kind of, well, it was dynamite. They were all red, long red sticks. What the hell? Right. But, yeah, I mean, when I was four years old, walking home from my first day, one of my first days, not my first day, but one of my first days of kindergarten, I'm walking at 1200 Spruce Place, which is right by Loring Park, for the first uh, couple of years we lived over there. And uh, Emerson School is right across the street. So I'm walking across the street. And I look down the street, and there's this one guy who's probably 12 years old, and he's choking the piss out of a 10-year-old with an inner tube from a bicycle. And I mean, he's like choking the shit out of him. Uh-huh. And I'm going, I wonder why he's doing that, you know? And then three of my uncles were murdered. So I guess I am who I am because of all that trauma. There's a lot of trauma. Yeah, well, that's Lots what makes you find out who you are. I mean, that's for sure. That is when true. you, I don't know. Yeah, that's very true. So that, so that's, I mean, that that was going to be a big thing that I had quite because to me about doing radio is, you know, coming up with those. You have to be interesting. You have to have opinions. Yeah. You know that you really believe in on the fly, kind of. So I was wondering if your early days, do you ever say shit where you go like, I don't really believe this, but I'm stuck in it now, and I got to back out. No, you know what? I never did that. Even even like early days? No, I, I got in a lot of trouble for that. I, yeah? Because I said, well, an example. Mm-hmm. I grew up Roman Catholic. My mother was a big-time Catholic. And I was going through, and I can't remember if it was communion or con, you had to go to confession and communion. It had to be communion because first you go to confession, then you go to your first communion. Mm-hmm. So I was probably 
maybe eight, nine, ten, ten at the most. And I got in a lot of trouble at St. Joseph's, which is no longer there. It's I-94 runs right there where it would have been, mm-hmm. where it used to be. And I was sitting <laughs> I was sitting in class, communion class, and we we're about to take our first confession. And they said to me, and don't forget that the priest in the confessional with you is a direct conduit to God. And yeah. I looked at Chucky e. Gleason and said, bullshit. I got in so much trouble for that <laughs> because I didn't want, no, he's yeah. not. Oh, yeah, I would imagine I mean, that. Come on. I used to practice saying, like, when I grew up Catholic, same thing. Exactly. And uh, But I don't know. My parents just did it because they thought you're supposed to. Yeah, but it right. still put an incredible toll on me. And I remember in, like, seventh grade, I started practicing saying, like, fuck you, God, when I was at, like, you know, like fuck you, God. I know. And then nothing would happen. Then I'd do it louder. <laughs> I, just, I know. I'd be like, nothing happens. Nothing happens, and then that opened a whole world for me. Did you ever do it with the devil, too? No, I'd never say that to the devil. I have too much respect for him. Come on, you (laughs) pussy. Challenge them all. What? uh, So, you know, you had your early things. Uh, We did your roast, and we made fun of the cat man a little bit and all that stuff. So how did you find – I mean, just audience came to you right away. Is there stuff you look back at, and you go like, Jesus Christ, Tom, get it together. That was embarrassing. Or or do you look back and feel yeah. good about it the whole way? No, I mean, you, you listen to it now, me screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> and it was because I was, it's a really very, funny. I was a very angry teenager. Yeah. I mean, I was a really, and I kind of just let it out every night. Now, it also got to the point where I was bringing, you know, three, four bottles of wine in with me every night. Right. So the end of the show was really loud. Um, that was, that was... Um, that was a nighttime show that you had? Yeah, 6 to 10 at night. Oh, that's fucking... And how old were you? 19. Drinking wine on the radio. What an awesome... Totally illegal in many, <laughs> right? many ways. By yeah. Way. It's a federal offense, actually. And, and how... I mean, anyone to look back... I mean, for me, all my comedy, you're just fucking... Like, my idea of hell is yeah. having to go back and watch myself overcompensate oh, yeah. at 23 years old at parties and stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, fuck. That would truly be hell. No, it's true. So that years, a lot of years, is on radio. Mm-hmm. Is that a big thing for you to own your old tapes and stuff? I know that's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. I've been very, very lucky in the fact that my whole life will be spent on the radio doing what I what I dreamed of doing, and yeah. I do love it to this day. I can be in the worst mood on earth, and when I'm on the radio, I feel great. Okay, it does it's still really feel weird. that way. Oh yeah, there's a it's the adrenaline or whatever it is. I I feel well. Today we got very very lucky. We had a woman on. After Chester Bennington hanged himself uh, on the show, congratulations, me, uh, me, yeah, big moment, it was a big moment, (laughs) yeah. But uh, she was interpreting for a guy. A guy wrote the book about uh, unhappiness syndrome, but he doesn't speak English, so Mia did the translation. And to to have that booked by coincidence, right after, Right. right after Chester killed himself, and and she was talking a lot about the fact that. Why do you waste so much of your time being miserable because you don't like other people? Why do you give them that much power? Right. It was very cool, actually. Yeah. So I love that part of it, too. Absolutely. I learn a lot being on the radio. What is, so do you still have, like, you know, for the very limited uh, amount of experience that we have, you know, one of the exciting things is when you have a podcast that's so good where you, like, rip off the headphones when it's done. It's like, that was fucking awesome, that's right? That was exactly good. It. Do you still have – I mean, no, does absolutely. that happen? Okay. That'll never go away, man. That fills that up part, your day still? Yep. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you will – as long as you do it, you will love it because it, it just never stops. That part of it never goes away. That's awesome. How do you – what are your indicators 
for a good show? Like, are there things that happen, phone calls or whatever, where you go, okay, that one really hit with the audience? Yeah, I mean, it's, whether it's, you know, we had a guy calling in the other day and started crying because his 24-year-old son was shot to death in Richfield a week ago, and nobody gives a shit. Right. Didn't get covered on the TV news, didn't get covered in the newspaper. The only people that covered it was us, and that was only because he called us to let us know because I didn't even know. Right. It was not on the news. Those very, very sad times, the very, very funny times, other people. Mike Gelfand, to this day, has the funniest line I've ever heard on the radio. Mike Gelfand, one morning, he's just in this, he depressed as hell. And so I said, oh, God, we'll go on the air. We'll have some fun, Mike. And we go on the air. I said, Mike Gelfand with us, ladies and gentlemen. Why are you so depressed this morning? He goes, because my wife and I only have one thing in common. We both hate me, <laughs> which I think is the best line I've ever heard. Absolutely, of that's a phenomenal. You should line. come to one of my and, shows once. And going yes. through yeah. and going through like where the guy uh, committed suicide, and you have the girl with the happiness on. That you're like a conduit where something bad in the world happens. So like, do you remember the nine elevens and the yeah, nat- like nat- any big natural disasters or trying we, times as a country where you bring people together? That show, the KQ Morning Show, is in the Smithsonian Institute. Really. We were the first ones that said, this is terrorism. Apparently, I didn't even really? know that. Yeah, apparently the Cakey Morning Show were the first ones in the country to say, this is terrorism. So we're in, I guess I'll be in the Smithsonian for the rest of time. It's weird. What are the big, you know, I mean, are there three, five, whatever big shows that you really remember as far as whatever iconic to you? Yeah, I mean, the the birth of both of my children. Because uh, I came back here uh and I guess it was probably April of 1986, my wife calls me. I was in New York. She was back in Minneapolis. Because I, uh, I would live in Minneapolis on Saturday and Sunday. And then I would be in Chicago on Monday and Friday. And in New York on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Doing shows in all those voiceover. markets? Doing no, voiceover. I didn't, I didn't oh, voiceover, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was doing voiceover then. And, and so uh, she called and said, we're going to have a baby. And I'm on the phone with her. I said, man, we can't raise a baby in Manhattan on 20th Street and 2nd Avenue. I mean, some people do it, right. but I didn't want to do that. I, I just thought, nah, I don't know about that. So I said, okay, honey, well, I'll, I'm coming home tomorrow and we'll be good to go. And literally back in the days when you put the phone back on the cradle, that's how long ago that Yeah, was, yeah. Um, I put the phone down and it had instantly rang. And it was Dave Hamilton calling from KQRS. He said, do you have any interest in getting back into radio? I said, what do you mean? He goes, we got an opening in the morning show, and we'd love to have you do it. And I said, well, how much does it pay? <laughs> he told me. And it was like probably one-twentieth of what I was making. Right, because voiceover is a fortune then, used, right? Used fortune. Yeah, it used right. to be. Absolutely. It's Millions. a great business. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it used to be a great business. I can tell you a story about that, too, Yeah, a four-year-old kid. Um, but anyway, I said, yeah, it sounds good. So on a, literally... A couple of weeks later, on April 17th, 1986, I started on the KQ Morning Show. So we, I moved back here, and uh, it's just the timing. In my life, the timing has been unbelievable, you know? Like, probably doing this interview was really good for me today. Because I, I wouldn't have that great a day. And then I found out, you know, John McCain has brain cancer, and, and that Ted Kennedy died of it, and Bo Biden died of the same guy. So that was depressing, and... There was all this depressed. Everything was depressing yeah. today. It was one of those days. And just look again. Democrat Republican has nothing to do with it. But somebody being told, "Hey, you got like twelve to eighteen months to live," not yeah. great. Um, 
And then, you know, there were these other stories about this happening and that happened. Then I find out Chester Bennington hanged himself on the birthday of Chris Cornell. And I just having this, not, you know, just kind of depressed. Yeah. Real, I get headaches when I get depressed. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I get severe headaches when I get depressed. So Mia came on and cheered me up, and that was great. Oh, well, Rick Gutierrez was great, too. It was great having him in because he's got so much energy. It's unbelievable. Um, so basically I went through this frenetic and kind of frantic Rick Gutierrez two hours. Mm-hmm. And then Rocco came on, Rocco Mediate, who does the third hour with yeah. me. And Mia came on, and it really cheered me up. And now to be able to sit here and talk about this, basically – Talking to you two guys right now is kind of like uh, being at the psychiatrist. Well, good. I mean, it really is. Yeah. I mean, that's what the timing of this is really good. Yeah. Well, good. This is one of the interviews that I get excited for. So I get okay. to go like research for it and get, so I get, you know, I think about it through the terms of my career. So it's really fun for me too. So thanks. Wonderful. Thanks very much for Absolutely. doing it. Thank you for asking. Yeah. What, um, God damn it. What the fuck was I going to say, Tom? That's a real question. Oh, this is the big question I was going to ask for. <laughs> so this is my big thing. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I'm, you know, chasing fame and we're whatever the fuck you call it. I don't right. think of it that way, but right. really we are. And so here I'm talking to someone who, you know, in a sense has made it. What Did you have a moment or a thing where you go like, holy shit, I think I made it. Like, I think yeah. this is, yeah? Yeah. What is it, if you can It share. was um, 1987. The show immediately took off. I started on the show, and they wanted to, the general manager wanted to fire me. He said, this guy's a jerk. Get rid of him. I, people don't like I can like see him. that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. That's just a given, right? <laughs> right. So program director, David Hamilton, the guy who called me when I was in New York, said, well, why don't we just wait till the first ratings come out and see how he's doing? Because, I mean, the general manager wanted to fire me after six weeks. So the ratings came out. We went from a five share to a nine five. So almost double the ratings in the first book. And about a year later, year and a half later, yeah, it was about a year and a half later because it was right after the Twins won the World Series. And the ratings came out, and we had a 29 share, which is unheard of. Um, Why do you think that? Like, I mean, what? You know, that it happened quick for you because to me, you are an an intellectual guy. You're a no-nonsense guy. You're straight up. But you're not – you know, uh, your big enemy, Howard Stern, for instance, He's oh, I'll a, see he was a big November. fucking like, you know, sh- like doing stunts and doing shit to get audience. I don't see right. you that way. No, you know, like, no, I'm not the stunt Right. Guy. I mean, there so, were some, I guess. so it's cool that, I mean, what did happen to, to grow that fast? Uh, I think it was the fact that I just was flat out honest about the whole thing. I would, the timing of it with the Twins, because I've been a huge Twins fan. I cannot believe what the hell's happened with the Twins this year either. Yeah, no. That's How the- they're only a half game out, that team's not that good, but apparently they are that good. But I, um, because I think, well, here, here's exactly what happened. So I get, in the, I get in the taxi in New York to go to the airport, to come back home, right? And I'm listening. Now, this is April, so the, the baseball season's about to start. And... Um, I'm listening to sports radio with the cab driver. And there are all these people calling into the sports show. And it wasn't sports radio back then. I shouldn't say it. There was no such thing as sports radio. But it was a sports segment on a radio station. And these people were calling in going, ah, the Yankees, they're going to be, uh, they're not that great uh, this year. I mean, yeah, they might win the American League, but they'll never win the World Series. The Yankees suck. I mean, let's be honest. They're not that good. Yeah, they'll probably win the American League. Right? So I get on the airplane, and I land in Minneapolis-St. Paul at MSP, 
and I'm in a taxi going home. And now this guy's listening to WCCO and the sportscast. And they're saying, they're taking calls too. How are the Twins going to be this year? Oh, they're going to be great. It's going to be unbelievable. They're going to be a great <laughs> team this year. I mean, they could finish like third or fourth in their division. Right. <laughs> and I said, that's going away. Mm-hmm. That right there is going to stop where Minnesotans think that a team that comes in third or fourth place is a great team. Yeah. They still won't give it up with the Vikings, by the way. Right. The Vikings are horseshit. I'm sorry. I love the Vikings. But this whole praising the Vikings when they, they choke like they did last year, I just don't get it. Yeah. So that's why I think because I went on and I, you know, I just told people the truth. Hey, Tom, you going to go see the Timberwolves? I wouldn't go see the Timberwolves until sparks fly out J.R. Ryder's ass. <laughs> you know, saying things like that. They had never heard anything like that before. You know, I wonder they, if J.R. Ryder has. <laughs> yeah, Ryder. I, I don't I think he might be hitting the pipe so hard he didn't give a rat's uh, <laughs> the possibility. But, yeah, I mean, that's – so, so yeah, that that rating – that book came out and we had a 29 share. And to be brutally honest with you, I don't think I've ever talked about this. Maybe I have talked about it in the air, but I don't think so. So it scared the shit out of me. That's what I was going to ask you when you get on top. scared me to death. I went home and sat in the corner and started crying. And I was – at that time, 33 years old. I get that. And so I've I, never been on top. I'm telling you. I sat in the corner and cried and said, what the hell am I going to do now? Where do I go from here? What am I going to do? When I was it, sitting here thinking of, thinking of your career today and going yeah. over it, all I thought about is I'm so blown away. You know, it's one thing to get to the top of the ratings, whatever, but to keep it for fucking decades. Yeah, 32 years. It's yeah. so, to me, it's almost not even fun. Because of the expectation and the work. It looks pretty fun. And I'm sure it is. I mean, I haven't fun. been to his house, but yeah. You know, but but it's like, you know, to me, those early days of you coming on the scene and fucking just a takeover instantly must have been it was and especially, incredible. Especially coming from the neighborhood of which you grew up in where right. you're yeah, not even you're, supposed to town. make it out. And now all of a sudden you're the hometown kid that climbed up the ladder and is looking down to everybody else. And, and that happened in the 80s and then that completely went away. Well, I, I mean, I just was, um, I'm going to be inducted in the National Radio Hall of Fame. The reason I even bring that up is because there was zero coverage of it in the media other than Channel 9. Yeah, in your Twitter Why? account. I know. Why? I... Because the people, the, the left here hates my guts. They think I'm Rush Limbaugh. That's how weird this is. I'm not conservative oh, in the least. I was going to talk about that. Oh, you see? Know, no. <laughs> from, no, I mean, I'm saying from meeting you, I've never, I've really never got that sense. To no. me, you're just like my dad, uh, kind of bootstraps, kind of bootstraps, moderate Republican, gold, but, you know. Kind of, yeah. But socially, you know, liberal-ish and, and all that stuff. I will tell you this. I was the very first guy in the media, television, newspapers, or radio, that came out in favor of gay marriage. Yeah. The very first one in the country. Well, and let's also notice, you let Tevin in the room. He's a black guy. Yeah, yeah, that, well, yeah but I had a screen between us. That's a nice thing. Us. That is true. I had a screen between <laughs> you us. Made, they warned you put me, a sheet like, over him. But, yeah. I want to be careful around Tom. That's so right. two chairs away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but it's so weird that, you know, you are to a level that people have fucking strong opinions oh, about it's you. it's unbelievable. It's e- a goddamn radio show. When we were trying to, you know, us do media for our fucking dog and pony show mm-hmm. the association with you using the bill like people would bring it up they did oh yeah why do you hang out oh, that asshole absolutely why yeah, i'd like... say he's the only guy being fucking nice to me <laughs> <laughs> of course i'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. be there what i i you know i'll tell you something and this is something i've never told anyone 
So your listeners will be the first one yeah. to hear this. Um, it's a, a show. You know, yes, that is me, but it's a really big version of me on the radio. It's, you know. Of course. People don't understand. They think that's how I really am. Right. Like yelling at people all the time. Right. And I tell you what, if I work with you, I go, um, here's what you need to do. And then when you don't do it, I go, uh, no, really, this is what you really need to do. And the third time is, fucking do it. Right. <laughs> you get right. two shots, and then the third time is, just fucking do it. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. So, yeah, I do get pissed off once in a while. Right. But my wife and I have given away at least 50% of our money. And it's not necessary to tell you who we gave it to or where right. it went. I am not impressed by money. Yeah. I'm just not, oh boy, really? You got money? Who'd you steal that from? I'd be like being impressed by a United States senator who basically cheated people out of $14 million. Yeah. I'm not impressed by that. Achievement, yeah, I am impressed by that. That said, you do have a lot of money. <laughs> no, not really. Well, yeah, I don't have anywhere near as much money. You should sit in me in Tevin's seat. <laughs> <laughs> I've been well, in your and Tevin's yeah, seat. Yeah, yeah, I know. But yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. People, I don't know why, but that's a Minnesota thing, by the way. Yeah. I don't get treated like that anywhere else. We we have a an undercutting thing here, for sure. We don't yeah. like to celebrate the locals as much. I mean, it's oh, I mean no in doubt. comedy, it is a huge thing. I know. How many fucking shitty New York headliners I've opened for? Yeah. And that but he, he's the head he's from New York. Oh, I know. And then you're there's no fucking heat behind the local guy that much. You know, you get some it's, your core, but Well, it, Lewis Lee took me aside about 6 months ago. And he said, Tom, you don't realize what you've done for comedy in this time. I said, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, nobody ever used to have comedians mm-hmm. on the radio. And I didn't even know that. I was like, hey, they're comedians. I want to laugh. Let's bring them in. I had no idea that nobody had comedians on. Yeah, and we even trying to find comedians, and even the ones that did roast you, a lot of them didn't want to go over the line and roast you because they were like, well, I know that he likes having comedians on his show. I don't want to make him mad. Yeah, that was really I interesting. I want to be on people his show. We're scared. So yeah. But you know me, and you know that I would never get mad oh, never. at somebody roast. No. I couldn't care less about it. That's funny. I just figured he showed up for a roast. He doesn't need to be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he's not trying to build his career off yeah, having I, a bunch of local comics roast him. You know what's funny about that is my, my children, especially my daughter, said, Dad, I don't know why you think people are so afraid of you. I said, because they are. She goes, no, they're not. Everybody, my friends all just love you, and they, you know, they know you're a, a wonderful dad, and you're sweet to them. And I, this whole self-image you have is. I said, honey, I'm just here to tell you, <laughs> people think I'm the biggest asshole in the state of Minnesota. They, they just do. I think there's truth to that, but I, I think you probably see it the, the worst way because I, I also probably. Think, do you think that you're used to being famous enough that, you know. To me, the hardest part would be being misunderstood. I don't like being misunderstood yeah. personally, especially yeah. when people form a narrative around it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, he's a, he's like Rush Limbaugh or whatever. Right, right. Have you gotten used to that at all? No. Or able? Yeah, I, I think that would really fuck with you. Oh, it does. It, it, it does. I mean, I don't really, I don't go on social media anymore, but not for that reason. I just people are assholes on there. I don't mm-hmm. need it. Even if I, you know, didn't do a a, a well known show. I wouldn't go on social media because it's like, God, you people are assholes. Yeah. I do miss talking to some of the listeners. They're very nice. And it's still, when, when people do recognize me, 
they're incredibly nice to me. Yeah. Nobody's ever been a person. Oh, they're Minnesotans. Person. We're all pussies in person. <laughs> like, well, really. There is some. some <laughs> there is part. Just people I know hate me who are really nice to me at shows and stuff. It's Why like, you mother. I hate it. I hate it's it. like, if I don't like you guys, yeah. get the fuck away from me. Yeah. Right? Is, I mean, is that the worst part of your position in your station? Uh, the worst part, the, the, the real downside of my job has been the way my son was treated. Because he was my son. Oh. My daughter wasn't so much. Okay. But my son was. Like negatively or? Uh, once he got into junior high school, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a true story. Um, there's this guy. My son was in ninth grade, and this guy was a, a senior in high school. And he kept, not physically, but he would verbally abuse Andy every day and, you know, pick on When him. you're that age, too, right. that's, that shit's almost worse. <clears throat> and I said, well, Andy's not a fighter, first of all. You can't really no. see Andy getting in a fist fight. <laughs> you know, and he's a very, very nice, sensitive kid. So he can't really fight this guy. And the guy's four years older. Than yeah. Because Andy started school a year early, too. So he was even younger. So I said, Andy, tomorrow go to school and tell this kid. That for every day that he does that to you from now on, I'm going to go to his house and beat the fuck out of his father. And he never did it again. <laughs> he did tell him that? Yeah. He said, my, my dad's going to come to your house and Sorry, beat the fuck you. out of your father. <laughs> and I would have. Right. You you asked, you made your kid a bully because you're a prick. Yeah. Well, get that under control. I mean, yeah. Get under control. Yeah. Picking on some kid who's four years younger than your son. Right. What's wrong with you? Absolutely. But so that part of it, yeah, I do kind of enjoy because... Some people are terrified of that part. But I enjoy that part. Yeah. Leave me the fuck alone. Right. And leave well, my family alone. What are, um, I mean, have you, so you've never had a social interaction really bad like that where you've been called out in an ugly way? One time, a black guy of over course. at J-Lo. Well, maybe if you weren't racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe if that, I mean, I could see things clearly. And he wasn't a prick about it. He just, I was at the urinal. At Zalo right. many years ago. Don't talk to me when I'm holding my dick, please. Yes, well, that's exactly right. right. <laughs> so he said, are you Tom Bernard? And I said, yeah. And he's standing at the urinal next to me. We're mm -hmm. both peeing. Right. And I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, you're kind of fucking racist. And I said, why don't you go fuck yourself like that? So it, we, it never got physical. That's not a very Minnesota response. Like that really, I almost got to learn that one. Because I, I not fall all over response. myself to be like, huh? What do you Why mean? Why do you think that? I, I look at Tevin. He's my friend. <laughs> Hang on. Let's call him. He's a Negro. Right. Give him a call. <laughs> but yeah, it, it never got anywhere. And then a bunch of people came into the men's room. And the only part of it is, the guy said, well, I wasn't going to kick his ass or anything. And I started laughing at him. Right. It's like, yeah, okay, there. Sorry, hey, Mike Tyson. You can't Tyson. presuppose a fucking win yeah, with no, me, right? it's not going to happen. <laughs> but that was the only time. People are usually very, very nice to me in public, or they shun me. I get shunned a lot. Okay. I do get shunned a lot. Uh, one woman once at uh, Byerly's in uh, Maple Grove, I was buying all this food, and the, the cashier is going through it. And I'm done, and I pay the bill. And as I was literally walking to the end of the little belt or whatever, she goes, I hate your show. <laughs> Just keep listening. After like, There's a dial that you can turn mm, that can yeah. take you to another show. <laughs> After I paid. She waited till I paid for the groceries <laughs> and then told me to go fuck myself. Pretty much. I mean, so that it has happened a couple of times, but nothing really bad. It's just I can tell when people don't like me. Yeah. They get really, like, weird physically. Right. Like, they will turn like this. Like, if you or me. Yeah, yeah. They walk at me, and then they would turn like this. It's like, yeah, people it's do that to me a all the time. radio show. Right. 
you you do comedy. Understand, this is not. Yes, it's what I do, and I'm not lying to you. But it's a huge version of what I really think. Yeah, it's what I think, but it's a huge version of it. Yeah, it, to me, it's the hardest thing to explain in the world. Oh, I have to do it, it to my wife all the time. Almost where it's like. Yeah, I fucking said that. And and yes, I mean it, but I'm fucking joking too. <laughs> but I don't know. It's a hard thing to – it's it like is. I just expect smart people to get it and idiots don't. And that's kind of how it works, I guess. But if you can't do it, you'll never understand it. Right. That's right. the problem. If you can't ad lib, you'll never get it. You'll never understand. What, what do you mean you're not serious? Because they don't think that way. Yeah. How about sponsors through your career? Because, you know, that's something I have no understanding of. And, you know, do you ever run into stuff where you've had to, I don't know, where shit's been killed or you go, you, you know, we can't talk about this person. You know, are there no, ever, I, ever I issues with that? that? I, I won't do will that? not do that. I, I will do endorsements for people that I believe in. There have been a couple of endorsements that I, I've stopped doing because I didn't like the way the attitude was. Um, do they ever get too chummy or want, you know, want too much from you, essentially? Yes. Yeah. That. That does happen, absolutely. Yeah. And then I go, you should get somebody else to do this. I don't work for you. Right, okay. I, I already have three jobs. I don't need another one. Right. You know, they spend a lot of money. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, recently that hasn't happened. People recently have been, been really pretty terrific. Right. So, you know, I think they understand by now. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I've become friends with some of some of the uh, people. That I, have, I think Doug Sprinthal from Walzer, he's a really good friend. Michael Bryant's a great friend of mine. And we became friends because they advertised on the show. Right. But not, I didn't befriend them because they were spending so much money. I just happened to like them. They're yeah. both from Rhode Island, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Which I didn't even know. So there's something about that. I don't know. Yeah. It, well, they're it's... successful guys. They're going to be intelligent and all. You know, so you right. are kind of getting into contact with whatever friend material, so to speak. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. I yeah. think that's absolutely right. How about what is, you know, um, I guess I don't even think we did get to it. Your best shows all time. Are there things, are there shows that stick out to you where you go, yeah, oh, that was yeah. one of the best Yeah, the, again, the birth of my children, definitely. I would say that 9-11 day was, was very, very dramatic. Profound, yeah. And profound is the right word, absolutely. Um, I did a show. I got to meet Peter Folk, which is was amazing. He was a... He at the end of the show, he came and gave me a hug and whispered in my ear, "What are you doing in Minneapolis?" And I <laughs> that's took, nice. Like, the biggest compliment that's a big, for sure. <laughs> that's a huge compliment. I've, I've, I've had that a few times, and that does stand out amongst my favorite uh, compliments. And here's one. That, here's one that I, I love about people who tend to tend to lean politically to the far left, and they forget about. I used to interview Gore Vidal all the time. Really? Because I loved him. Yeah. Now, I mean, he you couldn't get farther left no. than Gore Vidal, but I love the guy. And actually, the last time I interviewed him, I found out that he wasn't, you know, feeling all that well. And I said, Mr. Vidal, Tom, call me Gore. And I said, yeah, I know. But Mr. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Mr. Vidal, don't ever die. And there was a long pause, and he said, Mr. Barnard, you'll be the first to know. It was just a very, very cool yeah. series of interviews. I, I interviewed him many times, and he was brilliant. I had no idea that you. Yeah, I mean, he's he is brilliant, or what? Like, he was, was absolutely, brilliant. yeah, stunningly yeah. smart. 
What, what uh, yeah, I mean, he made me believe everything uh, in yeah. college. I read all that shit, and I was, so believe me, I had yeah, a lot exactly. of arguments with my dad is for about 10 years because of that. Is he your favorite interview that you've done then over um, your career? There have been some great, great ones over the years. He was he's certainly one of them. There's no question about that. Um, there are times when, well, at the beginning when we started, my very first guest on the show, of, of my very first guest was a couple of days after I started, was uh, Bob Costas. Oh, okay. And it really? kind of scared the piss out of me because, like, why did we called him and he said, sure, I'll be on your show. Bob Costas is one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. Incredibly nice guy. Called David Letterman. He told me to go fuck myself. <laughs> <laughs> but he is kind of like that to everybody. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't take that personally. Um, God, I, you know, thinking back, there have been so many that I just absolutely loved, you know, talking to legends. Yeah, do you guys ever talk about putting your top 20 together and, you know, releasing it on that. something? It'd be we so should, interesting. We should probably do that, absolutely. I am I am really glad that I didn't meet or interview a number of my my idols. Yeah. You know, uh, Jackie Gleason, I adored him, but I don't think he was that pleasant a person. Probably not. That's what I'm thinking anyway. Um, I've talked to Rain Pryor a million times, but I never talked to her father. Yeah. He is a guy... It's his fault that I seem like a prick. Yeah. Because, <laughs> and Tevin, you you may understand this. For a black man to talk that way back in the 80s was fine, but if a white guy did it, you're an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, he was you, very blunt in what was on his mind, so then, yeah, that's where you're getting kind of your inspiration absolutely. for how you're growing up. I will never forget putting on that big in as crazy. Mm-hmm. I hate the fact that my idol in comedy, I can't say the name of his albums. Yeah. <laughs> kind of pisses me off because Bicentennial Big N was funny too. Yeah. But but uh, Richard Pryor, absolutely. Muhammad Ali, first of all, because I was very young. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. Muhammad Ali's like, eh, hey, screw you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I loved Muhammad Ali. Then Richard Pryor, he was the one that really put me over the top with it. I got to do radio. Really? I, I got to do radio. Because I couldn't do comedy. Uh, Why is that? Because well, yeah, I, I was taking care of you know the family and my mother. Oh, yeah, uh, you're right. There's no money in this. <laughs> yeah, no, just... I don't want to, you know, I, right. I don't want to leave. I'll tell you a great story about my mother. I, uh, at one point, Many, many, many years ago, I gave her a very large check. It was a, like a lot of money. And she looked at the check and she said, what's this for? I said, it's for you. She goes, what do you mean? I said, that's all your money. You can have all of it. You keep it. And she teared up and looked at me and said, don't die like Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Mom, I'm pretty sure I'm not as big as Elvis. I'm pretty positive about that. I don't think so, you'd die from wine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that, see, once again, I didn't even, I don't think about that this much, but doing this interview today, uh, it's Richard Pryor's fault that some people in this town think I'm a prick because I kind of, I don't do it intentionally. Yeah. I don't emulate him, but it is Richard Pryor. You do say the N-word a lot. I used private. to. Okay. <laughs> I, I, was all, I was also the last uh, guy in, in broadcast radio to use the big N. Because when I would read a story, <laughs> and it said in the story, yeah. I would read I would read what right. it said. And they finally came, the company finally came to me and said, you can't do that anymore. I said, that, what's what it says? Well, you can't do it. I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, what is Because it meant, no, 
when I lived in Grand Forks in 1970, my roommate was a black man named Victor Treadwell. We, Victor and Gail, his sister, were going to the uh, University of North Dakota, and we lived together. And I've told this story several times. But when we were in the apartment, Victor always called me the big N. <laughs> but he wouldn't do it outside the apartment. He would only do it when we were at home, which I thought was very yeah. funny. Now, I didn't call him that. Right. He called me that. You could have done it outside the home in Grand Forks in 1970. but Not with a crowd I ran no, with. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guys from the SAC base up there in the Air Force. So, yeah, it was, it was a, a great experience, you know. But, yeah, I, I, I guess I never realized till right now that, that it's Richard Pryor that the far left liberal whiteies, that's why they hate me. Because they don't, a white guy doing that, they don't like that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why, I think that's why it's so easy for them to put on, yeah. to make you Republican or make you yeah, far right. Because I that guess. is, yeah. it makes it a punching down thing. It's not a, you know. Right. People hate the truth. I don't know. But I, you know, I, I tell you, Richard grew up, I mean, his grandmother was a madam. His mother was a hooker. I mean, this kid had no chance. I mean, he should have just, he should have died young of a drug overdose. And I find out much, much later in life that Richard Pryor, when he went to Los Angeles to try to break it big, basically was the father figure for Pauly Shore because he worked at the comedy mm-hmm. store. And, and, you know, Mitzi uh, got pregnant and the, you know, dad took off. So he was gone. So Pauly was basically raised by Richard Pryor. You know, that's the kind of guy he was, as bad as all that was. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, I mean, it's got to be tough knowing that your mother's a whore. I'm yeah. sorry. That's got to be a tough road to hoe, it right is. there. And grandma, <laughs> no, I looked at Tevin. <laughs> and grandma's selling your oh, mother. Saint. Mm-hmm. So, grandma, you sell my mother for sex? I, you know, going through yeah. that whole deal. And yet he still turned out to be very paternal and a very loving guy. Rain, to this day, I mean, just really misses him. He's probably a horseshit husband, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, from what I've read. <laughs> Not a great husband. I'm pretty sure. But I think that's, you know... Let me run this by you guys, because maybe you can make the judgment call on this. Do you think that the, those people that don't like me, and you run into them all the time, mm-hmm. is because I'm too black for them? They don't even realize that. <laughs> that's my gig, Tom. I'm, a, I'm always the... <laughs> it's your gig? I, that's, I always say that. You go that I've been honorary oh, really? for years. Yeah, absolutely. I just think... I, I was the blackest comic in this town until about five years ago. <laughs> I just think that the, the entire 32 years on KQRS, I've been too black for them. But they I'm don't, with you. They don't see it that way now. They don't think that's what it is. But it's that kind of cockiness, saying whatever I want to say and how I want to say it. That's a very black thing to to Scandinavians. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. but it is. Yeah, because especially Scandinavians and like especially Minnesota here, they it's all the passive aggressive and kind oh. of we don't want to cause any controversy. Where some of my black brothers and sisters will will dive head first in that shit. I know they just that whole thing is another thing that drives me insane. I understand the black man struggle. Fuck you, do no, you don't. No. You've never been there. Yeah, that's the that's probably the most disrespectful I thing agree. white people can say, because it's or like the Rachel Dolezé that identifies as black, trans black. Like, yeah, come on, trans you, black. Yeah, tra- I love that transracial. Now we're transracial. Jesus, no, we're not. 
So again, I'm not black for, for people listening outside the area. I'm not black. Matter of fact, I am from wherever white people are from in the world, I am part that. I am literally Italian and English and Irish and Scottish and I'm a little bit Scandinavian. Uh, I'm I'm literally and I'm like, you know, two percent Jewish, or something. So I'm not black in any way, shape. My wife is 0.2% African. <laughs> Which is, when she says that. I think it's phenomenal. 0.2%. Don't be messing with the sister. Right. <laughs> but I think I find, you know, I just realized sitting at this table just now, that is what it is. That I'm, I'm too intimidating for them. I'm too scary for them. But because I'm not black, they can say whatever the hell they want about me and they can hold me down. Do you think we can get that on the side of a bus for your next KQ I ad? Tom, love to do too that. Black Tom Bernard, too, too black for black you, for motherfucker. You. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Black as man in Minneapolis. God I, damn it, you'd get back to a fucking 50 share. No, I, oh, it would, I would. It would take oh, over. Would I ever. It would take over. Yeah, I would have about a 50 share. That's exactly right. But, you know, we were, I was just talking to somebody about the other day, a black man in America today, about listening to the, to the old man on the stoop and, you know, Big Mama. With the, the older black women who would watch all the, ch- the kids in the neighborhood, the, the Jewish grandfathers. I loved that shit. I loved all of it. And, you know, if you're living Lily White up in Kenwood, you don't know a damn thing about that stuff. Yeah. So to them, I think I'm just a, I'm just a very brash big end that they can attack. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Does that make sense to you? I still want that billboard to come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about this? So, the, the main reason I wanted Boy, to do this Boy, are people going to so hate bad. me now because oh, I just I love it. I fucking gonna, love it. I fucking hate I'm it. I'm so glad this happened on this show. <laughs> what, what, on news, show. what news outlets are really hostile to you so I can send this to them All directly? Of them. Okay. All of them. <laughs> what, so, really, like my big thing that whenever I think of you, this is the biggest thing to me, mm-hmm. is your Howard Stern thing. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. so I've never said this to your face because I've always been uh, scared to admit it, but I, I was a huge Howard Stern fan. Oh, yeah, but then you were really nice to me, so now, now I have to act like I hate him. But, no, but, a lot of people are big Howard Stern fans. But I am truly amazed because I was, so I was not aware of it at the time I was going to college here when he came to town. And he, yeah. his, his reputation when he came to town is he was knocking motherfuckers out every town he went to. Every town he went to. Every town he went to. Yep. And, and badly and was doing it in hostile ways. He was having his, his listeners fuck with him. He was, you know, doing like some pretty dirty right. shit overall, yeah, which did. of course people think is cool. What, so when that happened, and I feel like I know what you're going to say, but I won't believe it. Did you really not have any <laughs> fear? When it happened, like there was no well, part of you that went like, "Oh shit." Well, I, Dave Hamilton stepped up and said, "There's no way he's going to beat you." Dave Hamilton actually stepped up and said, "He has no way Howard's ever going to beat you." Our general manager went on TV in the newspaper and said, "Well, it's going to take a while, but eventually Howard will beat Tom." My own fucking general manager did that. No shit. That's a fact. Holy shit! And you watch that like on TV? You saw oh, that? Yeah, I saw that absolutely. But because God, they, that must have made your stomach sick. I, it was unbelievable. You son of a bitch! I'm making you millions of dollars, and you stabbed me in the back the minute you can. This I is mean, the same prick that wanted to fire me after six weeks. He made your whole audience think it's okay to leave you. That's exactly what he That's did. Exactly That's what that exactly is. what he did. Wow! And it never even came close because, and I think once again. I think it's the urban side of me that said, I don't, I don't, oh, really? Are you going to come and bang my fat wife? First of all, 
Catherine's not exactly hefty. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I know not for sure all. she'd never fuck you, Howard. So, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't really affect me. He went after my kids. I, I, I was going to say, yeah, what were the tactics that he used? What I, were I, the things? I, I never heard him do it, but people would tell me, would, uh, you know, tell me the, talk about my wife and, you know, this and how I was stealing his act. And I, I just, and I'll tell I can tell you this as well. Howard Stern stole Steve Dahl's act flat out. Steve Dahl was legendary. He still is on WLS in Chicago. That was Steve Dahl's act in Detroit, and Howard worked in Detroit at the same time. Yeah. Howard stole Steve Dahl's act. That's okay. what happened. Now, did I was I inspired by Steve Dahl? You goddamn right I was. There's right. no doubt about it. Steve Dahl is the best radio guy ever born. I mean, Disco Destruction alone. That guy almost. Oh, he blew was up one the who day did that. Disco died exactly. Okay. He blew up uh, White the, the, the Park. Yeah. Stunt radio or whatever. He kind of whatever had a knack for that. I'll tell you why I love Steve Dahl so much. I'm listening to him when I'm doing voiceover in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to Steve Dahl, and he would go and surreptitiously film one of these uh, healing preachers, right? Mm-hmm. Well, somebody ratted him out because he'd talk about it on the air. This was in Indiana. He'd go over to Indiana. <laughs> and somebody ratted him out, and he said the last. And he's telling this story on the air now. And he goes, "Yeah, man, the last time I went over there, it got really kind of, kind of scary because he was up on the pulpit. And he said, we have an enemy among us, <laughs> and I'm praying to God that the Lord above will come down and pinch his throat till he dies. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. What a fucking macabre way to <laughs> even I'll say that. now. <laughs> right. But Pinch Steve Dahl, throat. Steve Dahl had balls, man. He, he's, so yeah, you take all those elements. You put the Jackie Gleason in there. I learned how to interview people by watching Johnny Carson. Yeah. Constantly made eye contact. If he's going to interview someone, he made eye contact. Yeah. Which is, I've learned to read people's souls by looking at their eyes. Mm-hmm. Honest to God. Matter of fact, I'm going to do a speech in North Minneapolis to a bunch of young black children because I can tell by looking at them that they're afraid. And you know what they're afraid of? Themselves. Well, I was going to say police, but. Ah, no, no, that's, that's Kevin, all. Come on, that's man. All the white it's women down white room. in the other. Yeah. No, actually, it's uh, more like 80% yeah. white room. It's all black in here. <laughs> it's all black in here. <laughs> it's it's all black in here. So, yeah, you put all that stuff together. Because everybody's influenced by somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And my mother's a part of that whole thing. And I suppose my father enters into it because it was a, it was a, uh, it was a bizarre upbringing. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. My, my grandmother, Minnie. When I was four years old, I was playing Monopoly with my grandma, Minnie. And she rolled the dice, and one of them fell on the floor. And she said, Tommy, pick up that dice. And I said, it's a die, Grandma. And she said, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's where that all started. She was very funny. Back to the Howard Stern thing. God damn it, you didn't answer. Yeah. So you were never, <laughs> you never had fear about it, honestly? No, not after, after Dave Hamilton said there is no way that he's ever going to beat you. I said, okay. Well. And it never came close? Not any, not anywhere to close. And then when any of this shit happened, did you ever, I mean, did you ever want to call him and say anything? No. Or Okay. Did no. you mention him on air? No. no. Really? Okay. No. That was a strategy. I do is, now because of who gives Yeah, it. yeah. But I, no, I did not ever mention, I didn't acknowledge him in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I think just, it's baller as fuck that, that, uh, that you beat him back. I think it's just yeah, awesome. I mean, it, it was eventually, 
you know, it was so interesting about that. So then social media, I guess it was a few years later, they would, the, the question was asked on social media, has Howard Stern ever lost? And everybody that responded to that question said, yeah, he lost to that, some guy named Bernard in Minneapolis, and he's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Can never win all the way. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no you're not going to win that one. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to win that one. And now you're going to see him in November, you said, I don't, for the I, I don't know Hall if he'll be there. I know Robin Quivers, his sidekick, is going to be there. Oh, I She's bet he'll be there. being inducted. Yeah. Um, I will be civil to him, but if he's not civil to me, I will punch him right in the fucking face. Really? You I still have real that. rage about no, it? No, I don't have rage about it, but if he's Well, you'll punch asshole, him in the fucking face. I might punch you in the fucking face before <laughs> this is over. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, be civil. It's the, it's the National Radio Hall of Fame. There yeah. are only 200 people ever in it, and only about 50 of them are still alive. I loved the idea of being in the same club as Marconi and Groucho Marx. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal. What did you do when you found out? How did you find out? Um, Mike McVeigh from Cumulus called me at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning and then again at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Monday uh, a few weeks ago. I only Look, they asked me to be in the Hall of Fame in Minnesota, and I've always said no because I'm not a Hall of Fame kind of guy. I really hate the Rock and Roll Hall. Mm-hmm. I hate it. There's so many people that deserve to be in it that aren't in it. Yeah. And some people that should never have been in it, right? Uh, so I'm not a Hall of Fame kind of guy. Which, by the way, I told my attorney the other day, Sam Ellingson. It's a young lady. I said, I'm just not a Hall of Fame kind of guy. And she goes, yeah, you are. You're old. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Laugh it up, sister. <laughs> that's right. I hope you're enjoying that. Well, Bob Dylan wasn't a whatever Nobel Prize kind no, of guy. Right. But, you know, there's certain ones you get that you just go, who are you to turn it down in well, a sense? When they said, well... We're going to nominate you for the National Radio Hall of Fame. I said, okay, because I never thought I'd get in. Right. I, mean, I never thought I'd get into that. I'm the first commercial Minnesota guy to, to ever get into it, and I probably be, probably will never happen again. Yeah. You know, because all well, morning radio, I think, will always be. I think it will be. It's just going to go to more talk format, right? Don't you I think? I think it's going to be all talk. Yeah. It'll have to be all talk. But, yeah, and then you, you, you look at the people, you know, that are going in there. They're all nationally syndicated. All the rest of them yeah. are nationally syndicated, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a hell of an honor. My mother would love it. Yeah. That's why it's okay by me. My mother and your would, kids, would your love kids it. will fucking yeah, flip my kids love it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. It, it's, How did you feel when you found out? I mean, honestly, did it, it, did it touch you? It was, yeah. It was I would think so. Because yeah. I, I found out about it, and I went, oh, whatever. Thank right. You. And then I saw who's in it, and I went, holy God. Yeah. This is, I mean, once again, that whole growing up in North Minneapolis, as a very, very poor kid, pretty much fatherless after the age of 10. <laughs> Can I tell you a quick story about my dad? Of get back to Howard if you no, want. No, no, no. I'm good on it now. <laughs> so he, he's taken away. To punch you in the face? Yeah. <laughs> he's taken away. get hit in the face. He's taken away in a straitjacket on a stretcher because he went berserk. He attacked my grandmother, his mother. He attacked her. So they called and he, they took him and then he was institutionalized. So I didn't see him for quite some time. Um, and then I remember when he came back for a very brief time, he would walk to the front door, but he wouldn't go out it. And then about a week later, he would open the door and over a several month period, he eventually stepped outside, but it took weeks for him to step outside. And that was something to watch and it put in my head something that I'll never leave. I regret I could not help him. I mean, it makes me really sad. I, you'd like to help, you know, you help this guy. This guy is helpless. And I'm only 10 years old at the right. time. Right. 
Don't tell people I'm tearing up, you fucker. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I thought it was just my tears going. No, no. man, I was. Yeah. I do tear up every time I talk about that. I wish I could have helped him, so I couldn't. So he came back. He left then, and then he came back when I was 16 for a couple of months, and he would go to the local bars on Plymouth Avenue or West Broadway or wherever, uh-huh. and I'd get a call. Hey, your dad's being an asshole again. Now my dad was a pretty little guy. He was about probably five, six, weighed about 130 pounds. He's not a very big guy. So I'd go over there, and I'm 16 years old. I'd just cajole the guys and say, hey, come on, man. You know he's not all there. And you know, He was a brilliant man, though. Like IQ in the 160s. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Now my son is smarter than he, but... See, so yeah, Andy's you know, a genius. Yeah, Andy's, Andy's IQ is 167. It's ungoddamn believable. He is incredibly smart. Thank God for his mother. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so so he came back for it, and I I would go to the bars and go, you know, one of these, and they'd buy me beer. So I'd drink beer at sixteen with these guys, and so then he disappeared again for seventeen years, and I'm thirty three years old. I'm with Catherine in bed. I had just met Catherine a couple of years earlier, and the phone rings, and they said, "This is Mercy Hospital. Your father is in the hospital, and he's dying, and he wants to see you." I said, no, he doesn't want to see me. He's never liked me. He told me he never liked me. So it's probably one of my other brothers said, no, he wants to see you specifically. And I said, okay. So I drove from, we, li- we lived in old Minnetonka by then. And I drove from there to, what, where is Mercy Hospital? It's, that's Coon Rapids, I think. I think it's in Coon Rapids. <clears throat> it's in that general area anyway. And I was thinking the whole time, is he finally going to tell me I'm sorry or I, I love you or, hey, you know, I wish it would have been better. And I'm thinking all these things, why does he want to talk to me? Why does he want to see me? And I get there, and he weighs about 65 pounds now because he's dying of emphysema. And he's got all these tubes down his throat so he can't talk. So he's got this chalkboard, and he writes on the chalkboard. And it takes him like a half an hour to write on this chalkboard. And it finally, you know, lays it down, face down on his chest. So before I grab it, I'm thinking again, what is this going to say? Mm-hmm. What the hell is this going to say? Do you love me? Do you regret it? Are you sorry? I turn it around and it says, get me out of here. Because <laughs> he thought it was like a bar thing again. <laughs> yeah. And I took his hand, I held his hand, I said, can't do it, Papa. And that was it. And he, and a little addendum to that story. So my father dies the next day. We're at the hospital. And my mother sent, even though my father was Baptist, my mother was ardent Roman Catholic. She sent a priest to do the last rites of my father, right? Even though they had been divorced for, by that time, 20 years. So there's a Catholic priest there. This line was later used in a movie called Tenth and Wolf. I don't think it was inspired. It just, it was a coincidence, but I actually said this years before the movie came out. So I'm standing in the hallway looking out the window. It's like, yeah, it's kind of weird when your first parent dies. It's just really, really weird. Because now it's just they're gone, right? Even though he was always gone, mm-hmm. he was still out there breathing somewhere. At least there was the possibility. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah there was always a possibility. So I'm standing there looking out the window, and the, and the priest comes out. And he walks up to me and says, well, uh, Tom, I'm, I'm sorry about the death of your father. And I said, don't worry about it, Father. He probably had it coming. And the fucking guy, like, sprinted away from me. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was going to get hit by lightning. And I kind of went, 
you know, I didn't wasn't really serious, you know. Right. When I, anything like that happens, I'm sure you're the same way, and you're the, probably the same way. If it's really serious, you got to tell a joke. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a coping mechanism. You know? For sure. Absolutely. Especially when, something that profoundly tragic in a sense. You know, oh, you, you no never got question. closure with your dad. That's right. And how hard with a – you're a – successful stable guy with a good family yeah and I, I hate to even bring up how how shitty that must feel to not no it's, no, it's, it's got to be a hole in your life there's no question it's terrible it's my biggest fear in my life like to my... have like to not have closure with things like that it's horrible for real like to not be seen successful by your you know or you know whatever yeah. your things are like that you know yeah, absolutely yeah no no question about it at my mother's funeral i didn't get out of the car because i didn't want to like I sat in the back of the church, and I didn't get out of the car because I didn't want to, like... People would actually walk up to me and start talking about the show at my mother's wake. Oh, sure. Okay, well, (laughs) I got to go away now. So I was sitting in the car um, with my friend Fitz and Kendall, those two guys, and we're sitting in the car, and she was put in a crypt, actually. And they're walking away from the the crypt, and my, my daughter, Alex who at the time was 16. No, excuse me, she was 17. She's walking away and she's crying. And I rolled down the window and I said, hey, toughen up. Because I had to tell a joke, man. You, mm-hmm. you got to take that. <laughs> I don't want to see walk this. Walk it off. Man. You got to yeah. walk it off, <laughs> yeah. man. And she did start laughing. Yeah. She got it. it yeah. Like, you know. It's... I, to me, there's no other option. I don't know what the fuck to do. Oh, I can't sit God. there and be honest emotionally with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's too gross and weird. No, I can't do it. Right. It's too hard. For sure. Well, I know you need to, right? We have a hard out? No? Well, my yeah. thing expires in five minutes, but I, you know, I, I, I can always send you the ticket. No, absolutely. <laughs> no, this show isn't making a revenue yet, so yeah, let's wrap this up <laughs> quickly as we can. What is your... What, uh, Let's say this. Your, this is a fucking stupid question. Your final show, okay? My final. Who are show. your ideal guests? Can't pick your family because I know that I know that would be. No, no, no. Choice. I understand. I can't, can't yeah. pick my family. I don't know. And the reason I, I would tell you I, I, that I don't know is because I don't do any show prep at all. Everything is ad libbed, and people don't believe me when I tell them that. They said, "I don't bullshit. believe you." I oh, believe. Do, you. Do, do, do you write? Um, you know, I mean, throughout your day, you must come up with jokes or ideas nope. that you scroll down. You don't at all. Nope. But, and Never. even, like, the people that are on your show, because when I'm in studio and last one will just put, oh, here's who's coming up next on the screen. Mm-hmm. And then that's, yeah, that's how you just go about That's how I know the they're coming in. Yeah. Like, when you're on my show, yeah. I have no idea you're coming yeah. in. Yeah, you have a creepy, you're creepy a skill, and it's fucking uh, weird. You're creepy. Well, thank you. Every radio guy has the ability to multitask a little bit. But mm-hmm. you have this way of, like, Really, like, typing in your computer or looking at an ad, but truly, I feel like, connecting with me, having a real conversation. And when oh, you see you. someone kind of turning, doing something else, you don't, you're kind of caught off guard. You don't expect him to, he's doing something else. He's not going to talk to me. But then you do it. It's just bizarre. It. Yeah, I don't know why, why I can do that. Have you always been able to do that, or nope. did you develop that? No, I've always been able to. I don't know why either. I have no idea why. Do I don't know. So I'm going to ask this about a personal thing with our show. Yeah. Uh, this is something that I've gone through. 
we taped for six months, and then I finally listened to all of them. Like before, did you like, really? Oh fuck, they were terrible. At I first. I wanted to <laughs> fucking. <laughs> oh, he's right. No, he's not yeah. kidding. All of us were terrible. We were well, all. Everybody's terrible when they first. Start. All my two part questions or rambling. Like, here's a question, and I know this is probably the answer, but here's it. Just like <laughs> fucking horrible. <laughs> Hated my. Truly wanted to quit. Well, this is a great. Everything. You're doing a very nice job. Well, of thank this you. <laughs> we're uh, we've come a long way to get here. What um. So were, was it always natural for you to just ask succinct questions and own your shit and whatever? Yeah, I mean, literally, again, Fuck that, you. When, I was seven years, <laughs> <laughs> when I was seven years old, again, I, that, that's when I would watch my father just sitting there watching, watching. My father tried to kill me when I was seven. I should mention that probably. Yeah, you should. <laughs> why, why, how, is there more uh, of a backstory? He was, he was crazy. Okay. And he only hit two of the kids. He hit my sister, Bobby, and me. And one night he just came up and took me up to the attic and just started beating the living shit out of me. And if it weren't for my mother and my sister, Bobby, he would have killed me. There's no doubt about it. He just, because he couldn't stop himself. He was crazy. Right. Right. So I learned that, that if I stood in front of him next to the television and basically did stand up, I didn't know that's what it was, mm -hmm. that he would laugh and he would talk to me. So... I guess that that's where it all started. I, you know, I didn't realize I might have died. I realized it later in life because he wasn't going to stop. It just wasn't going to. Yeah. Know. But but I don't know why. And maybe it was from watching Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners or whatever. That if I stood up there and made him laugh, because he did think that Jackie Gleason was very funny. Mm -hmm. So I thought if I could do that, maybe he'll think I'm funny. Right. So, and that and that's where it all started. At seven years old, I would stand up and make comments about the shows he was watching. Okay. And he thought it was very, very funny. And that was it for me. That was, I mean, I, that, that kind of set the tone for the rest of my life. Why do you think you're not, you know, like, not a huge nationally syndicated act? Because I didn't want to be. Really? I did not want to be. I lived, I was one of the top five voiceovers in, in, in America. Yeah, I read that. From... 2000, what, 1978 to 2008. Home Depot, because all kinds of like the, huge brands, the right? The Burger King Olympic commercial, no, right? McDonald's. McDonald's. Damn it, McDonald's. McDonald's. I ended up not getting getting aired. Yeah, because that guy killed 20 people in McDonald's in San Ysidro. I was on my honeymoon, actually, coming back through Salt Lake City because you couldn't fly directly to Calgary then. We went up to Banff and Lake Louise up in Canada for our honeymoon. And, and I was walking through the Salt Lake City airport and... The, there used to be these newspaper boxes lined up along the wall. And I said, what does that say? And it said, man kills 20, wounds 21 at a McDonald's. And I went, oh, fuck. What was the commercial? I, I guess I don't get what I the... I did seven commercials for the 1984 Olympics. Okay. Uh, back then, that would have paid about $700,000. <laughs> so him killing those people... For talking. Couldn't have waited one more month, you prick. Right. Right. It cost me about seven hundred grand, but there is a funny side to that, and I'll tell you what that is. When we were cutting the commercials for Leo Burnett in Chicago, there was the ad agency. I was on. Matter of fact, that's where I met Mike Gelfand. Uh, he did an interview with Advertising Age with me because I guess my voice appeared on the nineteen eighty four Olympics more than any athlete or anybody else. Huh? I was doing. God, it was McDonald's. I was doing uh, Sears Automotive. I was doing United Airlines. I was doing all this shit. It was unbelievable. Um, 
And I don't know why that happened either. Who the hell was I just going, you know, you should hire me to do your voiceover. I don't have any experience. My first radio job. You should hire me. Why? You, you have one of those weird voices, though, where it's like voice, it comes yeah. out of your head, and it's like, I mean, it's a built-for-radio voice. It's just Yeah, pure, without being, yeah. Pure, it's like you know. being LeBron James, except being a, like a fat, ugly guy with a good voice. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> so here's the deal. See, I let him get away with that. That wasn't <laughs> supposed to be. You, know, you, you didn't make that feel mean. I am between you and the fucking door. I, I like know. <laughs> no, but anyway. Um, and I'm not helping. I know, I know. So we're going... We're going to do the very uh, first commercial. Yeah. And I pl- I'm playing the father. This is a you know TV commercial. I don't appear on camera. It's a, a little kid doing all these gymnastic moves or whatever. So I'm in the booth with this like four or five-year-old kid. And we <laughs> cut the first commercial. And the producer said, okay, that's great. That was terrific. Let's do another one. Four-year-old goes, why? <laughs> and he goes, what? Why are we doing another one? You just said it was great. <laughs> he goes, well, because I want to do another one. That's why. And the kid says, I'll do one more. That's it. <laughs> the guy hits, hits the talk back and he says, Tom, let's go grab some lunch. We went to lunch, came back, and the kid was gone. That kid cost himself $700,000 because of his stage mom standing right so there going, oh, you're so wonderful. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. It I have a question that bothers me every time I come in here. So 90%, I say 99% of radio people, they go to the studio, do their show in the studio, go home, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you have strong-armed your way to be able to do it from home or Florida. How the hell did you manage to get that remote access to the studio? Uh, 29 chair. Well, I guess is that is that all it took? You just said, "Hey, I want to yeah, be I able mean, to do well, this from my house in my pajamas." You have to understand something. I I have I really really bad. And again, it's your people. It's your fault. Another <laughs> yeah. another part of my blackness, and I'm doing quotes, air quotes, yeah. gentlemen, is the fact I hate authority. I just hate authority. Now that doesn't mean I won't listen to my wife if she tries to tell me what to do or whatever. That's different. But I cannot stand for people. Matter of fact, I got in a lot of trouble a short time ago because this person said, well, here's what – you need to change this about your show. you got to do this differently. And I said, you know, when I started this show, you were a server at Applebee's. And they went, what? I said, what the fuck do you know? So it caused a lot of trouble. Yeah. But I would, like, I would not come to you and say, you know, you, you, you're doing this wrong or come to you and go, you're, you're doing your act wrong. It'd be great to get some advice, oh, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we are open to it. You've done but, well. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. But, but I literally went home, and Dave Hamilton, once again, his name comes into it. He, he did agree, Tom, it would be better if you just didn't come in. So it was really kind of my idea, but it was more Dave's idea. Oh, okay. Um, and then is it true that when the station was bought, out or like the ownership change or the head brass change, mm-hmm. that, and they brought everybody in for a meeting, and you said, I'll be at my house? Yeah. I'll be in my house. Give me a call. <laughs> now, I can tell you one more thing. We we can wrap it up with this because I don't think anybody knows this, but people should probably know this. In 2008, when the economy crashed, I gave back, uh, over the last 10 years, $5 million so nobody would lose their job. Half and half, right? And you know what? Yeah. Everybody that I gave money to treats me like shit. Every one of them. Because the more you do for people, the worse or the more they resent you. 
It's amazing to me. Is that true what you did, though, that, that you sliced it in half and then half again? Mm, it was close to that. That's yeah. fucking amazing. Like to think of, you know, Nobody. just anyone to do that in your yeah. life. I yeah, don't care. How, yeah. When you hear people say that, oh, he just wants to drive certain or get certain people fired, it's like, well, no, he's sacrificing so more people can stay on the show. I know. And, and, and that part never comes out because, once again, that far left thing. And I, look, I don't like the far right any more than I like the far left. So I'm not demonizing them. It's just they have all the control in this state. I mean, the far left has the control in this state. There's no yeah. question about that. So if it were the far right, if I was living in Alabama, I'd hate them too. You know, I just, right. they're not my kind of people. They're the same person, actually. You know, yeah, it, they are. And, the the and holy and the liberals. Yeah. Like, yeah right. right. <clears throat> but yeah, that, they, they, they've allowed people to go on over the years and say, this is what happened. It's not at all what happened. You were an asshole and you lost your job. Sorry. And it's just, and what are you going to do? I mean, I would imagine it's like anything, any fucking baseball team. People have their roles, and if it's not working, then it's not working, and you're not going to fight for someone who's not doing their job, right? Like, to me, that would probably be their complaint would be, you know, that you didn't help or didn't do anything. So then they blame you, I would think. They're the ones I paid for the last 10 years. Right. You know, I mean, literally, the last two people, one of them uh, called me a sucker on the air because I did help them out. Mm-hmm. Actually, on the show, called me a sucker. So I said, well, you got to go. Because I can't work with somebody who says something like that. Do you say it um, on the air? No. Okay, you, did, you said it off It was the a air. little louder. Okay. When I said <laughs> it. And then there was one that, that kept talking about wanting their own show. I want my own show. I want my own show. And I finally went and said, I can't work with somebody who doesn't want to be on the show. They have to go. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. You don't want to be on the show? Then don't be on the show. But, but the media reports it. Lie their ass off and... Nothing is done about it. Look, I'm not innocent either. I might be very, very tough to work. Although you and I have worked together for how many years? Yeah, we're like three or four now. Yeah. I mean, have I ever said, fuck you, Devin? Well, I have probably no. said oh, yeah. that. No, and it was very <laughs> odd. Like, it was Hard not to. When we, when we first started coming in and doing KQRS all the time, and then like friends and family would be like, you know Tom Bernard? You get to be on air with Tom Bernard? I'm like, talking about the, old, the older guy that's yeah. talking into the microphone? I had no idea who you were, like no, how popular no, you, you were. And people were like, you're like shaking hands with radio greatness. Oh, God. Boy, look at the time. <laughs> this November. Boy, look at the time. Get him a to, gold jacket. Just stroke him off right at the end. <laughs> that was great. I think that is good for our show. It was, honest to God, I will tell you flat out, this was very therapeutic for me. I talked about stuff I've never talked about before. And to realize that it was Richard Pryor that made everybody in this state hate me, now I can blame it on Richard. Yeah, next time Rain comes on. <laughs> Rain is, what a great person. She's a great person. That documentary, Omit the Logic or whatever, yeah. is really great. I will tell you, honest to God, what Richard Pryor did. He was supposed to be the sheriff in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. And they said, nope, not doing it. So he got big in before I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, very much, oh, Tom. Honestly, it's yeah. a huge favor for us. Always obviously. welcome. So not you. a huge favor. You guys are friends of mine. And Tevin, even though he didn't give me a Father's Day gift, prick that he is. I'm sorry. I'll black still son. talk to him about my black <laughs> son. My black son. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I enjoy you guys. You guys, uh, no, I. I it, it was great. It, like I said, it, it, it was very helpful to me. It it. it I talked about things I've never talked about before. And we appreciate that. Thanks, yeah. But it just kind of happens. Yeah. I'm one of those whatever comes up, comes out kind of guys, which sometimes doesn't work too well. Right. (laughs) Sometimes it gets me in a little trouble.
right, that was our episode. Thank you guys very, very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, what did I screw up this episode? How have I forgotten questions? What would you like to criticize about me? Hit us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know. We also will oftentimes post the guests that we're having that week coming up. And it's really fun because people will go on and ask questions and do part of my job for me. And we appreciate that. So uh, keep rating and sharing and subscribing. We appreciate everything. Thank you. <laughs>